official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here's your host, Glenn Naughton. Jets fans, I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Uh, exciting show tonight. Tonight we are going to be joined by our new co-host, uh, somebody who's a regular listener to the show. Uh, you'll There'll be some level of familiarity there. As I've said on the air a few times, the search for a co-host is something that's been ongoing. We wanted to make sure we got the right person. We had some... Uh, we had some folks contact us who were interested, who who didn't work out for one reason or another. We had some folks we reached out to who were interested but weren't able to make it work out. And uh, is uh, is going to be joining us as our co-host. And as I said, some of you may be familiar with Alex, uh, somebody we would have would have reached out to sooner. Uh, my understanding was Alex was not a free agent, but as it turns out, he was and he is available. Alex, are you with us? Hey, Glenn. How you doing? Hello, Jet Nation. Hey, doing great. Doing great, Alex. Uh, glad to have you back on board with us. And I know that you and many of our listeners are ecstatic about the uh, the upcoming draft because, as I've said, um, I don't know your exact feelings, but in looking at the what the Jets are faced with here, n- not not a scenario I can envision – where I would come away from this from this draft unhappy with what the Jets do. There are so many quality options. What overall feel before we get into the specifics and the names as the draft approaches? What, what's your overall feel with what the Jets' op- options are at three? Um, and what would your it, what's the ideal scenario for you? What's what's your perfect draft day scenario? Well. Um... I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a different uh, game plan every day when I woke up. Uh, But I'm a big, strong believer in stockpiling some picks, maybe sliding back just a few spots and recovering some of the draft capital that we did last year to get Sam Darnold. Uh, You know, we took a couple steps back, but I think we could spring forward and get ourselves balanced and play a little catch up if we could do so. Um, and at the same time, if there aren't any reasonable uh, King Ransom-style offers, I, I'm very comfortable with the top three. As we all know, Bosa, Josh Allen, and Quinnen Williams, I really don't think that it's going to be too much of a miss with any of those guys. They're really quality, good football players, and you know they can contribute right away. So I, I would be comfortable if we sat put. Uh, you know, you trust the process. But at the same time, with all the glaring holes that, you know, we have offensively and defensively, it does make a lot of sense to just get a second rounder, you know, maybe something in the third or fourth as well, and and bank on hopefully getting something next year in 2020 as well. So that's kind of where I'm at at this point. Um, I'd love to see a trade, uh, but at the same time, I, I am content if they stay put and one of those top three guys fall into our lap. Yeah, it's funny you say that because that that's 
really where I've been in terms of, you know, what I would like to see happen. I kind of, I have a different outlook every day, but I, I think when, you know, when, when I boil it down, I think we're, we're pretty much on the same page. I feel like you get one of these top three elite guys, put a picks involved and otherwise you stay put and you take the guy who could, you know, kind of alter the, uh, the direction of the franchise in Allen, you know, Bosa or Quinn and Williams, but, you know, one thing that, that popped in my head today, because, listen, as we know, we, we can speculate all we want. We can read all the mock drafts in the world. You can listen to every expert out there. But really, at the end of the day, nobody nobody outside that war room knows who they have at number one on their board or, or you know, how their board is going to stack one through three. Now, what, what are the chances? I mean, what's your feeling? Say they go into this draft, they stay put at three. And, I mean, listen, they, they hosted Ed Oliver today. What if they come away with a guy like Ed Oliver who coming into this draft was, was regarded as the top defensive lineman uh, you know, early on, drawing the comparisons to Aaron Donald? Um, you know, in, in recent months, it's now been Quinn and Williams, uh, whereas some people anyway have drawn comparisons. But is there a scenario where you could see them taking someone other than the top three guys that we've mentioned? That would certainly be a shock. And, you know, I know everyone really gets tied up with rankings or big boards, you know, where Mile Kuyper is or Bucky Brooks and things like that. Um, you know, it, I, I guess it's a feel um, kind of thing. If you really feel good about somebody and you, you they have strong characteristics and you think that they're the right mold to fit into what you're trying to do, you don't second guess. Don't blink. Uh, go with Go with your gut. Um, you know, it, early on in the process, he was talked about it being a top five um, in Ed Oliver. So, you know, now people see the measurables and the critics are out there about his size. We even heard comments about off-ball linebacker, which is kind of crazy. But, you know, at the end of the day, you look at the film and, and you see a guy that plays with tenacity. And he, you're not going to have somebody that's going to quit on you. Uh, he's going to do whatever it takes to, to stop the run, stuff the gaps, and, and get after the quarterback. He really, really is a disruptor with what he does. And, you know, at three, it, maybe it's a little bit of a reach, but at the same time, if he pans out, is anyone going to question it in a couple of years if the guy's, you know, being talked about a, in Pro Bowl conversation and, you know, leading, you know, and PFF in stuffs and tackles for a loss and, you know, pressures and hits no one will ever second guess it. So, you know, if the, if the Jets feel that that's the best way to go about it, uh, I'm going to stand, you know, right there aboard and, and root for the guy with everything I got. Yeah. You know, you raise a good point. I think I mentioned that uh, a week or two ago on the air saying that, you know, no matter who they take at three or no matter what, you know, where they pick, who they pick, there's going to be that sort of that instant reaction, the fan reaction. Some people are going to be happy. Some people are going to be mad no matter what they do. But really, it's what happens on the field. It, it, you know, if they take a guy like Ed Oliver, um, you know, some fans are going to be upset because it's not the name that they've they've been reading over and over again as one of those choices. But if the guy goes out there and you know and and blows it up as a rookie and is a big part of turning this team around, then the results are going to speak for themselves. You know, it's it's fun it's fun to read up on the draft to speculate to to root for the stand out most to you as a fan. But at the end of the day it's the it's the on field results that are gonna that are gonna dominate 
the you know the direction of the team and the and the status of the GM and and where he stands with ownership. But um, before before we go any further, I just want to take one second real quick to thank our sponsor, and that would be FanDuel Sportsbook. This episode of Jet Nation Radio is sponsored by FanDuel Sportsbook. If you're in New Jersey, you can get a free bet when you sign up. This applies to all markets, whether you go for NBA, NHL, MLB, or anything else. FanDuel Sportsbook. Get signed up today. So, a uh, couple of, of, of items that we'll touch on briefly. Uh, think not, not necessarily breaking news items, but just to kind of get your take. For example, the Darren Lee situation. I've mentioned it. I'm curious to see what your opinion is. My my feeling is I would love to see Greg Williams find a role for him in his defense, especially as a guy who's only got one year left on his deal, probably their best coverage linebacker, and he's only due to make $1.8 million. Um, but the reality of the situation, it appears anyway, the writing appears to be on the wall. When you spend that type of money on C.J. Mosley, that Darren Lee could very well be on the wall draft capital. I've kind of said all along, I think the best the Jets will do is a fourth rounder, maybe even a fifth that could become a position. What do you think could happen with Darren Lee? What what do you see the team being able to get for him as trade compensation if, in fact, they do move him? Well, I am uh, part of the Darren Lee fan club uh, group. Uh, I've had uh, plenty of conversation with uh, the, the Twitter Jets fans about, you know, should he stay or should he go? Uh, I do think he is a really, really good football player that has yet to hit his ceiling. Uh, he has the ability, the speed. Uh, we've seen some things that he's done in coverage, which is very good. Uh, we do know that he does have some struggles uh, going up against, you know, bigger opponents, tackles, and guards that can just dominate him with their size. But, you know, as you as you stated, Greg Williams is a much different mindset than I feel that the last regime. And I do feel that his style of how he approaches his defense with his variations of 4-3, he likes to mix up his packages and keeps, keep the offense guessing on what they're trying to do. So I do feel that he will find a role for him if they do decide to keep him. Um, so that's, I just hope that, you know, he can finish his career as a Jet, but there is some writing on the wall with the Mosley signing. We do have Avery Williamson signing to a very good contract right now at a, at a reasonable price. And last year he played very, very well. And hopefully, you know, this core can continue to build on what they did last year. Now, as far as the compensation uh, in the perfect scenario, I'd love to see something like a second or a third round. But at this point in time, I don't know if his production to this far would warrant that uh, compensation back, possibly a fourth rounder. Uh, I would definitely be interested if maybe there was a player involved and, and maybe we got a fourth or a fifth round and kind of similar how when we made the trade a couple years ago to get um, who was the defensive back. Um, was it – he played – Terrence Brooks, I believe, from Philadelphia. Um, yeah, we for, did uh, for Dexter McDougal. Right. So if you can get something and you can get a player back and maybe you can get a pick back, that's something to work off of, you know, maybe a lineman or, you know, somebody in the uh, secondary, like another cornerback project that we could work on that maybe could one day come into the number two, number three role. 
So that's where my mind would be. I, I, I definitely would like to have decent compensation come back. I just wouldn't want to let him just, you know, go for like a fourth or a fifth and nothing else and, and then kind of just hear all the negative feedback about Mike McCagnon's, uh, you know, draft history and all, all that stuff. So uh, hopefully if a deal does go down, uh, we're on the winning side of, of the trade and we're not just going to, you know, give them away for nothing. Yeah, and, you know, part of that too is that if the Jets are able to, to get something out of Darren Lee to where he has a, even a decent season, you know, we, we've seen, we see every year in free agency, teams will overpay for guys uh, when, when, free agent, when free agency rolls around. Now, if Darren Lee, given his draft status, given his athleticism, if he has a, a, another solid season, then he's a guy that if a team signs him away for a big deal, you might get more comp pick than you would get than you would by giving him away for a fifth rounder. Um, you know, a third as a comp is probably unlikely, but a fourth or a fifth with a big contract isn't all that that far beyond the realm of possibility. I didn't note about Lee uh, a couple of days ago on Twitter. Uh, he tweeted out that this 245 life is fun, swollen, strong. So he's a guy who's 30, and when he was drafted, the Jets said they weren't going to ask him to put on to add any weight. So you know whether or not he's at, he, that's truly his weight, we'll see. But if he is packed on 10 to 15 pounds of added muscle, that would have to uh, you would have to imagine that's something the Jets have asked him to do, and you would imagine they've asked him to do that for a reason. So perhaps the trade uh, talk is is premature. But I think you know one reason I think it's kind of caught steam is because of the fact that the, the way his season ended is as nice as it was to see him make some positive strides. The fact that we saw him get suspended for drug use, uh, which for those of you who don't realize when that happens, that means there are multiple infractions before you get to a suspension. So obviously he had multiple positive drug tests before being suspended. And the team may have just kind of said, look, uh, this guy's in the right direction, but at the same time, he's, he's nowhere near a, a point in his career where we can look past something like this and maybe the team's looking to move on. I don't know. We'll see. But just an interesting note that I, I saw the other day just as I was scrolling through the, the Twitter timeline. So we'll see what happens with Lee. I agree. Uh, you don't want to see your first-rounders bust and end up elsewhere. But the, it's just – it's it's um, it was way out. But who knows? If Greg Williams can find a role for him, all the better. If not, you see what they get in, in terms of compensation. But speaking of trades and compensation – uh, one name that's now being floated, for those of you who haven't heard, the Seattle Seahawks signed Russell Wilson to a, uh, what they gave him about a, about a $300 million a year deal from the numbers we're seeing thrown around, but, uh, what 35 million a year in a, in all seriousness is what he's getting. And this, some people feel will make Frank Clark expendable and teams are reportedly calling the Seahawks to gauge what it will take to get Frank Clark. So if you're the Jets, what are you willing to give up to get a player like that? Uh, well, I, I would try to see if I could do something with a 2020 pick, uh, maybe that first round pick for next year. And the reason why I say that is I would 
As a part of that, I would like to trade back from the number three spot and get something for 2020. So if you're rolling with house money and having two first-round picks next year, uh, we've been dying to get an edge rusher for years, as we all know. So if you can maybe use something for with next year uh, to get him on the team this year, uh, kind of similar in the way that I believe uh, D. Ford was acquired. It was a future uh, third-round pick, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, that's a phenomenal deal. Uh, you have a guy that's going to get double-digit sacks and, and contribute right away for their team. So it, if the Jets have an idea and they, you know, from what we've heard from conversations with Mike McCagnin is they've talked to some teams and they've had some deals on the table. So it's just a matter of, you know, making, you know, moving your chess pieces in the, in the right place and, you know, making the strategical moves in order to validate, you know, taking on another $17 million player. Cause I believe that's what he is due this year, 17 million on a one year franchise tag. So if you're going to do that, Hopefully, you know, he has a good game plan in place and, you know, we won't be, you know, throwing the whole mortgage in on it. Yeah, I think that would be, I think it, the, the ideal scenario would be getting him for a pick next year. My, my concern, however, is that the Seahawks only have, what, four or five picks this year going into the draft. So you would imagine if you're the Seahawks only got and you've got a, a trade chip, uh, of that magnitude of Clark's magnitude, you're going to want some, some draft capital this year um, and perhaps next year as well. Now, would they be willing to take that jets, the jets first three and maybe a, a one next year or something along those lines or threes this year, some, something I can't envision a scenario where they don't get a pick for this year. Obviously the jets aren't giving up three and they don't have a second. So the, their choice would be a two next year if they're willing to settle for, because I think a one might be tough to get ones. Ones are, you got to give up so much to get a one and as good as Clark is, I just don't see that happening. Um, would I be opposed to it? Not necessarily given the, the long-term need at the position and what he, what he would bring, but he, he's one name that's being floated. And apparently I saw another tweet today that the, what might've been yesterday that the Texans and Jadavion Clowney are nowhere near uh, close on a long-term deal. So he now, are your feelings the same in terms of what you would be willing to give up to get a guy like Clowney? Um, do you feel differently about him than you do about Clark? Well, I, I, I would try to go down the same road uh, with the deal for, for Clark as I would for Clowney. Um, I, I'm a little bit more tentative because it just seems like he had a little bit of a slow start to his career and that he started to pick it up the last few years. And I'm beginning to look at him and say, you know, what changed from the first couple of years? Because if I'm not mistaken, I think Clowney was one of the last uh, draft picks to get his deal done before the draft even kickstarted. Um, I think Houston had a deal in place and everybody knew that that was pretty much going down. And then, you know, obviously he had a couple injuries and a slow start. So I'm just wondering if it's because they brought in guys like Merciless and they brought in guys like they have J.J. Watt and they've had good defensive interior linemen to, to create those opportunities for him. So there, there's a lot, um, you know, big ifs with Clowney. Uh, I do think, you know, he's, he's very young. Um, he's talented. 
Um, and I was kind of hoping he didn't get tagged because he was one of the top guys that I was hoping that Mike McCagney would go for, you know, due to the fact that he was a part of the Houston organization before he came here. So I'm pretty sure he, he knows him very well and would, would love to have him, I'm sure. All right. Well, that's uh... – I mean, I he, I think that is that is a guy you would definitely, if you're in need of an edge rusher, that's a guy. If they've been willing, if they're willing to tag him, but the, the thing that worries me is to hear that. Uh, I mean, clearly they they value his his presence on the roster. So to hear that they are nowhere near close to a deal in terms of uh, compensation, that tells me that perhaps Clowney is asking for for uh, asking for the moon. In a in a long term deal, so that would give me a little bit of pause. His uh his physical talent, there's no denying what that guy can bring from that perspective. But moving on from possible trades and guys who might be on the market, either guys the Jets are dealing or guys they're dealing for. Let's move on and do some draft preview. Uh, for those of you um, who were asking, we are going to try to do a show within, say, two, three days of the draft with our own mock drafts. We'll go back and forth with our picks and explain why we like who we like and why we like them in the spots we think the Jets should take them. So that'll be, as I said, two, three days before the draft. But tonight what we're going to do, we're going to look at cornerbacks and running backs. And let's uh, let's go ahead and start off at the corner position. And, 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 and starting off... What's your? It seems the the prevailing thoughts, um, at least among the experts out there, Alex, is that Greedy Williams and Byron Murphy, uh, Murphy out of Washington, Williams, of course, out of LSU, those seem to be the top two guys on everyone's list. And depending on who list you're you're looking at, uh, those two guys get flipped interchangeably. Who would you say is the top corner in this class? And uh, I mean, realizing that unless it's unlikely the Jets would be grabbing the top one or two guys. But who would you have at the top of your list? Would it be one of those two? And if so, which one? Uh, yes, I, I would have them as my top two. I lean more toward the Byron Murphy side. Um, I really like uh, his uh, his instincts and his awareness. You know, he's a little bit of a ball hawk. Um, he's got a little chip on his shoulder. Um, even though he's not a big dominant physical presence, um, he doesn't, you know, that won't hesitate him from going in and sticking his nose you know, in someone's chest. So I guess, you know, it's more or less what cup of tea do you really like? Do you like somebody that is willing to, you know, maybe gamble and, and try to get that interception or that pick? Or are you looking for someone that's a little bit more reserved and, you know, will stay stick, hip to hip, be a sticky style corner and, you know, look for the pass breakup rather than going for, you know, the big play interception. Uh, I'm more of a, a gambler. I, I like what Murphy brings. Um, and, you know, he's just an intense player. And it's exciting to watch him on the field. So that's I, I'm more of a Murphy guy than a Greedy Williams. Um, but I do think Greedy is very good. Uh, I've heard a lot of mixed uh, reviews about him. So people think that, you know, he may end up being more of a nickel corner. And you don't take first-round uh, picks on nickel guys. You can find them later. So that, you know, that's interesting. And I think there was a report the other day where he was not getting any invites uh, for, or, you know, uh, visits from any teams, which is very, very odd. So you wonder how 
he, he went about his process with the combine and his interviews and what exactly is it that maybe kept teams away from bringing him in or then the other side is maybe teams are just comfortable. They, they are going with what they see on the tape and they know what to expect from him. So they want to use that visit on another player that they may be on the fence with. So, you know, it's definitely interesting um, to see where Greedy's going to go. I I think he should be a first round pick Um, maybe somewhere in the middle, uh, definitely between that, 15 to maybe like 25 range. Um, I, I think he would go before the 20th pick, but crazier things have happened on draft day. Yeah, I think if uh, I think if the Jets are going to grab a corner in the first round, it's going to be in that range of trade down with a team like the Redskins or, or somewhere in that neighborhood. But I, I would I would I've forth a few times on these two players myself. I give a slight edge to Greedy Williams. Because he ran a faster forty than I anticipated, I thought he was going to be a mid four four guy, and for him to go out there and run a four three seven, you know, they're they're both they both listed at six one and one eighty five, so similar size. But I think Murphy is the more physical guy, and I'm a little bit biased because LSU seems to always you know consistently churn out quality DBs, which I understand shouldn't. It, that's not something. Uh, I'm not saying I put a lot of weight in a lot of stock in that but if if I have two guys that are sort of neck and neck that's one of the tiebreakers for me but if they were to move down and get either one of those guys I wouldn't have any issue with it at all and no fan should because they you know in all reality they both should be very good corners next tier down some of the guys you're hearing about who will probably be you know mid late first rounders um Rocky Sin is a guy that uh we've been hearing about for a little while guy. He's at a temple at five eleven one ninety two. is a guy who, uh, I think he ran in the fives as well. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, mid four five, mid low four fives. And another interesting name, a guy who I liked a lot coming into the season, Georgia cornerback, Deandre Baker. He's another guy, five eleven. Uh, he's in the one nineties, one ninety five, I believe. And, uh, another physical guy, Georgia, and probably a more realistic guy, let's say the Jets trade down and add a second rounder, that's where the Jets could be looking. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on these two guys? Uh, DeAndre Baker, um, when I first started watching the film on him, I was taken away by you know his size and his athleticism. He's very, very aggressive. Uh, from what I've read and heard, uh, he's better fit for a zone-style scheme. So you would have to have a game plan for a player like him. Now, uh, what was interesting, and, you know, I'm a big advocate of listening to uh, all the uh, draft-related podcasts, and a, a lot of them were saying that teams were a little turned off with uh, his attitude and his interviews, the way he conducted himself, uh, that he just was not fluid with conversations, and some teams were a little turned away from what was going on upstairs with DeAndre Baker. So it's interesting to, to hear that. And, and I wonder if that will uh, weigh heavy into his uh, draft selection. Um, I, I feel that with those physical uh, tools that he has, he be of a, a late round pick, you know, somewhere between the back end from 25 to 32. I'm sure there's going to be a team that would be willing to take a flyer on him. Uh, but, 
that's definitely something that you would want to uh, keep your, you know, your eye on and, and just make sure that you're not bringing in somebody that's going to be more of a problem because at the end of the day, the last thing you want to be doing is being, you know, a babysitter for a grown man and, and having to constantly, you know, be sitting them down and talking to meetings and saying, you know, we need you to act like a professional and, you know, don't be mixing it up with, you know, with other guys in the locker room and being an agitator. You don't want to be a distraction. So if that's the case with him, um, you know, hopefully um, he can mature and work on that so that, you know, teams will hold him in higher regard. Yeah, and, you know, that's an interesting point you bring up about the the attitude and how guys come across in interviews because, of course, you, you do want teams to work. You know, I'm sure there's a million stories one way or the other where, where things worked out or, or didn't work out for a team based on, on putting too much emphasis on how a guy interviewed at the combine. But every time I hear that now, I think of, uh, because I spoke, I spoke with, uh, with someone during training camp last year, someone with the team who, who kind of echoed what, uh, or, or I should, I shouldn't say echoed. I should say agreed with the, or confirmed story that Rich Samini had written, um, earlier that preseason where he said that, you know, the reports he got as to why, because, you know, the Jets took a lot of heat over the years for passing on Alshon Jeffrey and taking Stephen Hill. And the biggest difference between those two was, again, according to Samini, was the way they presented at the Combine. Is that Stephen Hill showed up dressed to the nines, looked like he was showing up to a business meeting, suit and tie, carried himself like a pro, very impressive young man. Uh, whereas Alshon Jeffrey had put on some weight in his final college season and just didn't interview well. His attitude was poor, at least according to, to these reports. And th- this is what, what made the difference to the Jets. They said, look, this kid, Stephen Hill, carries himself like a pro, has a lot of physical tools. We're on Jeffrey, who, who may be lacking a little bit in maturity. So um, obviously that didn't work out. So it's, it's interesting to see when we hear these reports coming out about players, um, you know, I've spoken a couple times over the last few weeks about Ja'Kai Polite and what we heard about him coming out of the combine. The teams weren't impressed with his interview process. And I look at him and I think, man, if that guy falls to round three and you don't take him, then then there's something because he feels a, a dire need. And, you know, he, he's a first-round talent for sure. And also wanted to mention, you know, what, what you said about Greedy Williams, which I commented on the other day and said that, the talk of him not getting any interviews, I th- I think it it could be a case where teams have seen enough on film. Some I, I um, we probably saw the same tweet. Um, I can't remember if it was Schuster or um, or Rappaport. I think it was Rappaport who tweeted that that he had no visits. But I think he also said the last player that that happened to was Tyler Eifert, um, which is got to be regarded as a first rounder, and nobody calls him in, but. Um, Obviously, we as we saw with Tyler Eifert, that doesn't always mean you're out of the conversation or or dropping down draft boards. But um, it, either way, you know, Greedy Williams is a guy that he's he's going to go high in the first round. Well, no no worse than middle of the first round if uh, if teams just stick with the tape. Who, who are some of your give me give me a couple other guys? I know I know you were looking Justin Lane a little bit out of Michigan State. You know he's a He's a guy who's got decent size, speed combo. Not elite speed, but he's in the four fives. Then, of course, there's Julian Love. 
um, who a lot of people have been talking about, and a guy who I know that uh, I think I saw it was you, you or someone else tweeted about uh, Lonnie Johnson out of Kentucky. You know, six two runs a four five two. He's a guy that you know could be a, a second or third round pick, and I think I've seen his name sort of uh, attached to the Jets once or twice. So, any any thoughts on those guys? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I definitely like Justin Lane. Um, I just recently uh, watched a lot of his film and came away pretty impressed. Obviously, the size is there at 6'3", 190 pounds, and uh, he's got a very, very strong lower body. Uh, he jumped uh, almost uh, 11 feet in his broad jump. That was second overall out of uh, all defensive backs, or at least cornerbacks for, for that matter. So, you know, you do see some, some athleticism with him. Uh, he's an interesting player. as He came in as a wide receiver and was converted to a cornerback. So when, when you're dealing with a player like that, you have to think that he's a heads-up football player. He understands um, about the route tree and how to, where wide receivers want to get open and tendencies, um, how they get off the line of scrimmage. So it, it's definitely good to have a player that has experience on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, one thing that really, really stood out to me was, you know, how he plays right within that line of scrimmage from two to five yards. You rarely see him playing way off the ball. Um, he can do man press, uh, but he's, he's a mirror style corner. He will follow you wherever he goes. He's got good speed to stay with you, um, you know, downfield uh, vertically. Sometimes, you know, he will get a little grabby, um, you know, if you get a good uh, jump on him and you, and you beat him off the line. So there's definitely some areas in which he needs to clean up, just like most of these guys. And uh, what was really great is that his last season, um, he had 15 uh, pass deflections out of the, the 24 that he's had in his career. And I believe he had two full years as a cornerback for Michigan State. So, you, you know, you got a lanky guy who's a hard hitter. He would be a good fit for the cover three. Um, he has good man press skills. And uh, one play that always sticks out in my head, which may be my favorite uh, play of all the defensive backs, um, I tweeted it the other day. He makes this one-handed grab in the red zone uh, for a touchdown, and the offensive wide receiver was actually grabbing him and holding him and got the uh, passing interference call, and he still came down with the ball for the interception. So you see the ball skills. You see the athletic skills. And as a project that could be, you know, somewhere possibly going at the mid to late second, but they're – there's a chance that he slides to that 68th pick. And I really think that that would be a home run to, to get somebody that maybe would not be your number one corner, but there's nothing wrong with getting a guy in now that could eventually be your number two. And obviously we're hoping that Tremaine Johnson can have a bounce back year because he was a little up and down last year with injuries. Uh, he came on near the back end, but we really want him to solidify that number one role. And if you can, get that number two position filled out, uh, you know, within in this draft for possibly next year, I think that that would be uh, a good way to go about improving the secondary. Uh, we all know that Daryl Roberts has been promoted, and there's a lot of people I see that are for it. Some other people are a little worried about that. So for me, I definitely think that maybe this isn't the most phenomenal cornerback uh, class, 
but there are guys that, you know, possibly Greg Williams could coach up and mold into a good player if you put him in the right scheme. Yeah, I, I think that one guy who, who's interesting, who the Jets had in for a workout, I know you've commented on him. I've I've watched him come away really impressed and kind of wondered why he's not being talked about more more regularly as, as a guy who could go earlier in the draft. But uh, w- one more corner I want to talk about before we move on to running backs, uh, Central Michigan, Sean Bunting. Why isn't he getting praise as, as a guy who could go a little bit higher? Because, from, you know, at least from the mocks I've looked at, they have him listed as a sort of a fourth, fifth, sixth round. He can and should go higher than that and, and would love to see the Jets add him. Yeah, I absolutely agree, um, and I and I I kind of like that. Um, let's keep him hidden, <laughs> let's keep him buried, so that if he does land in our lap, we will have somebody that I think is going to be a really good man cover corner. Uh, he's very consistent. Uh, you don't really see a lot of different looks from him. You know, he'll play right at the line. He'll mirror you, and he'll he'll just follow you wherever he goes. Um, I, I didn't see him do too much of playing off ball where, you know, you're a good six, seven, eight yards deep. He's right there at the line of scrimmage. Um, he's got really good lengths. Um, you know, and as far as his athleticism, he had uh, the, I think his 40 time was a four, four, two, and that was fifth overall. And his vertical was 41, five, and that was second overall. So there's, there, there's an athleticism there. Uh, he, he's six foot about 195. And he's a project, but like you said, it's just very, very interesting on how he's not getting a lot of, uh, you know, um, press uh, for his play. And maybe that's because, you know, not a lot of people are tuned into Central Michigan and maybe the competition around him is not, you know, like Big Ten, Big 12, or SEC. So, you know, maybe that's why he's getting overlooked. But as, as far as a guy who, you know, has quick, uh, quick feet, fluid hips, um, he's got good arm length, and you know, like I said before, he's he's a mirror style corner, and uh, you know, he came away with uh, I think four four fumbles, about nine interceptions uh, throughout his career. So he he gets active. He can stick his nose in there. He'll make a play. Um, sometimes you know uh, he has a little problem shedding off blocks and keeping outside containment in the run game. Um, but you know, again, that's just something that you'll just have to coach him up on. And, you know, you just have to drill that into his brain and do the game with the film and, and just show him, you know, you got exposed here. This is something that you need to be conscious of and, and be more cerebral when you're on the field. Yeah, definitely a guy worth watching. I know, as I said, uh, from what I've watched, I've really, I've really liked him. And, and I'd seen you. It was uh, Manish Man of the Daily News kind of said, this is a guy that, you know, this is a name Jets fans should familiarize themselves with. Um, in bunting again, n- not a, not a huge school guy at a Central Michigan, but a guy who ha- he has a lot of tools. And as you said, you know when you read off his measurables, it kind of makes you think of Derek Jones. You know how Derek Jones had that that forty two inch vertical mm-hmm. or whatever it was, a little bit taller, a little bit faster, but still that that sort of physical freak. A lot of different things for you. But mo- moving on from the corners, um, unless, unless did you have anyone else you wanted to mention specifically, Alex? I didn't want to. I didn't want to want to um, jump past that. Any any anyone I didn't mention who might be a steal or any any of the top guys who you think might be there at the top of round three if they fall. 
Uh, well, the other guys that I have on my list and majority of the guys, that it's a little bit of a theme for everyone out there. Uh, these are players that the Jets have either visited, brought in for a visit, went to their pro days, or had uh, conversations, you know, whenever they could at Senior Bowl um, or at the Combine. Um, and a couple other names of note, uh, I think you mentioned them before, Julian Love out of Notre Dame. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I would have a second-round grade on him. So, of course, you know, this might be a scenario where we move back and we get a second-round pick. That might be somebody that, you know, I would highly consider. Um, he may not be the biggest guy, you know, at 5'11", but he was a tackle machine, 176 tackles throughout his career. He had uh, 20 pass deflections in one season. Um, I think he had 39 total um, throughout his uh, time at Notre Dame. And he can do a lot, uh, cover two, cover three, zone style, um, kind of guy and he tracks the ball well in the air and you know he's not afraid to stick his hand in there even if he's if he's beat but he's relatively close he'll put his hands right where the wide receivers are and kind of just get that ball out and and jar it loose before they get to the ground so he's a very smart football player and this would obviously be a scenario um, where we would trade back but uh, definitely someone to keep an eye on if we do happen to make a move come draft night. Okay, great. And then moving on to, to running backs, you know, this is this is kind of a, a topic that, that fans seem to be torn on because, since you know, given the fact that Jets don't have a lot of draft capital, they've added Le'Veon Bell, a lot of fans be against the idea of using a draft pick on a running back because of the fact that, you know, they have needs elsewhere. I know personally I like Eli McGuire quite a bit. I think he can be a, a good player. There's time on who they've added, the former Packer and Raven. But at the end of the day, it, it all comes down to whether or not the Jets, will they identify a running back who is worth using a pick on? And and if so, who might it be? I know for me personally, I think that uh, my, my favorite back in this draft is probably David Montgomery out of Iowa State. Mm. Um, not not an early, you know, not a first. Again, depending on who you're listening to. But I like Montgomery a lot. But there are some good ones in this draft. Josh Jacobs out of Alabama. Now, he's a guy. Some people knock him because he didn't have a ton of carries in college. But go back and look at Alabama's schedule and their results. I mean, they were beating everybody by 50 at halftime this past year. So you would imagine they just kind of rested him up because there was no need to expose the injury or wear and tear. But some Jacobs tops most lists, and, and understandably so. Like I said, I'm a big Montgomery guy, 5'10", 222, physical guy. Uh, what are your thoughts? Is running back a position the Jets should be looking to address? And who are some of your top guys? You know, like you said, a lot of people always seem to say, you know, why would we go out and get another running back? Or, for instance, um, every time I mention a tight end, we have Chris Herndon. Why would we do that? There's nothing wrong with having a double-edged sword, <laughs> you know, and, and getting another tight end in, in here. for It's another blocker, another weapon for Sam Darnold. And I feel that way with the running game. You know, if you look at uh, what the Eagles did a couple of years ago when they won the Super Bowl, how many running backs did they go through throughout the course of the season? You know, what we see on paper today, it may not be what we're looking at week one, and it will certainly not be the same roster we're looking at at week 10 and down the line. So, you know, this is, you know, a, a you know, it's a race. Um, we want to finish, you know, in the, in the top half, and we want to be looking toward the playoffs. So you want to be able to keep your offensive 
uh, team rolling and you want a strong running game with a young quarterback that we have in Sam Darnold. And, and if we do end up, you know, flipping the script this year and becoming a team that, you know, will be, you know, fighting for a playoff spot, we don't want to do what the Rams did and, you know, burn out our number one guy like they did in Todd Gurley. And then he was barely on one leg as you saw throughout the playoffs and at the Super Bowl, which was just so unfortunate that they didn't have, you know, a, a proper run game plan to save his legs for the back end of the year. So, you know, yes, we all love um, the previous guys that are in here. Like, you know, a lot of people are saying bring back Bilal. You know, what about Eli McGuire? We still have Trenton Cannon. These are all guys that were part of the last regime. We cannot just assume that Adam Gase is comfortable with what we have right now. Now, of course, he's spoken well about these guys because that's what every coach will do when they come into their a new team and a new position. You don't want to start off your uh, regime, you know, trash-talking, you know, a, a fan favorite. So, yes, I do believe that if you have an opportunity in the mid to late rounds to bring in somebody here that you covet and you think that will, you know, be a quality, pr- uh, productive player that could spell – for Bell when, you know, he's getting toward that 15 to 20 carry mark or, you know, if we are up in games and we want him to, you know, sit sit back and relax in the fourth quarter and let the young guys get out there and, and show their skills. So I would definitely not be hesitant to, you know, bring in a player uh, later on in the draft. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with carrying four or five <clears throat> backs going into the year um, just so that you keep all your guys healthy and strong. Yeah, and I think you have to figure, you know, another factor with with really up and down the roster, but running back is is one that comes to mind because of the fact that they'll be they'll be looking to to make sure they don't wear Le'Veon Bell down. You know, one thing that that jumps out, and I mentioned this several weeks ago, is that you have to feel like this, this roster. While I my personal opinion is that it's better than people than a lot of people give them credit for, I don't think you know because they've addressed. You know, because you you sign Le'Veon Bell um, by adding Crowder, by adding Mosley, a lot of the moves in free agency, the trade for us, Maley to play left guard. I don't feel like the gaping holes that were there before are there now. I you know they do need a rush linebacker, they do need a a corner. Well, I mean you say that, but I mean in all reality, I can sit here and say they need a corner. But if Tremaine Johnson returns to form and Daryl Roberts and or Derek Jones develop under under Greg Williams and play even decent at, at the number two corner spot. And corner is not as big a need as many of us assume. That doesn't mean the Jets can't or won't take one. But I think I think corner to me for that reason is one of the more intriguing spots on the roster. But the point I was about to make was that I think this team more than more than a lot of other rosters, I, I think we're gonna see some undrafted free agents have a really good chance to make this roster. And I think, you know, I think they'll bring in several backs. And one guy that I wanted to ask you about specifically, because he's one of those guys I look at and think, you know, as much as I don't want draft capital getting used on a running back, if, if Mike McCagnon, let's say he trades down a couple times and adds, you know, even late picks, let's say he adds a, an extra fifth, you know, you know, one or two extra fifth or sixth round picks. And I was, you know, you and I communicated a little bit before going on the air through uh, through email earlier in the week. And one name, uh, I'm sure you had him on your list because it, it jumped out at me. He's one of my favorite players in the draft, a guy who's not getting enough enough love for, for my taste. Uh, but Ryquel Armstead out of Temple. 
What are your thoughts on him? I think this guy is a very underrated player. And if he's there in the late rounds, I would love to see the Jets snag him. Absolutely. Um, and if if Todd Bowles was still in here, I would pound the table and say it was a lock somewhere in that fifth, sixth yeah, round. Yeah, as a Temple kid, absolutely. Because uh, <laughs> he came from Temple, and we know that he's uh, picked many up that litter before. Uh, the first thing that jumped right off to me when I was looking at his uh, numbers is that he had about 600 touches um, throughout his career. He had Mm -hmm. one fumble. So, you know, that's definitely something that, you know, he can probably hang his hat on. You know, you can trust me in, you know, big-time scenarios. I think he's a great short yardage back. He's very physical. Um, He's, you know, great in the goal line. Um, He's not easy to bring down. He's not an arm tackle kind of guy. You have to gang tackle this guy. And he has a very, very good combo of power and speed. I kind of feel that he's a momentum runner, you know, and that, that's the interesting thing when you look at these guys and you get taken away from 40 times. Not everybody's a track star. Um, you know, I did track myself, and I was a chaser. Um, I, was, I had very good speed, but for me personally, I kind of needed somebody in front of me to get me to go to my max potential speed. And I feel like there's a lot of cases like that that you can make for certain running backs that did not have stellar um, 40 times. But you look at him, and he's right there at the 4-5 range. Um, you know, again, he was very, very productive. Um, you know, he, he was a good receiver. I don't know why. He didn't have a lot of receptions. I think he only had about 29 receptions. But the way that they used him is they would put him out in the slot, um, you know, in between the numbers and the seam. Sometimes they would put him out wide. He didn't really get a lot of receiving opportunities, but I, I don't think that means that he's not a good receiver. I think he absolutely can do that. And, uh, you know, he's very patient, um, good vision, uh, more of a one cut and go. And once he finds a lane and he starts getting vertical, he's very hard to catch in a foot race. So, you know, he's just one of those guys that, you know, everyone else is, you know, more concentrated on who's going in the, the top 32. And a lot of people are just, you know, probably don't even know who, you know, I think they call him Rock Armstead. I heard that when I was watching one of his games from the commentator. So, you know, Rock is a guy that, you know, not being talked about, and he's going to end up going somewhere and being one of those, you know, classic lines, you know, you can always find good talent later in rounds, and I think Armstead would be one of those candidates. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like I said, he he's a guy that, as a late-round pick, I think you'd have to look at, you know, expect, you know, good – Good size speed combination as well. You know, he comes in at 220. He ran in the four fours, um, four four five, if I'm not mistaken. So if the Jets, yeah, if they are in fact looking to go with a running back, it's at some point in this draft. You know, again, a lot of people don't want them taking a back. I, I, I'm not crazy about it with with the number they have, but I would I'd bet the farm that this team is is absolutely. You know, even if they don't move down from three. Uh, and add picks. They're, we're going to see a lot of small trades throughout. You know, moving down a couple spots here and there through you know rounds five and six, and add a, add a couple picks. So I think that's when a running back comes into play. Uh, taking a running back before that, I think would be would be shocking to be honest. And and you know, you you, you mentioned the tight end thing. You know, why add a tight end when you have Chris Herndon? And I've heard people say that, and and I don't get that because I, I, you know, I've said myself that if they can add a guy like Hawkinson, if they do trade down in round one, or if they want to go with a, a Jay Sternberger a little bit later on, that would be something you know I'd have no problem with because you know at this point it should be all about surrounding Darnold with quality weapons, 
um, whether it's receivers, running backs, multi-dimensional backs who can catch the ball in the backfield, tight ends who can who can line up in multiple different spots as so many of these guys can. There, the, you know, the jet. There should be no stone left unturned when it comes to to adding quality players to to surround this kid with. And uh, one one thing I wanted to get into j- just briefly this one. Uh, I think it'd be interesting because, you know, we go through the mocks. You know, I commented a couple weeks ago that, you know, I get tired of it every year that every single season it feels like we we read about it. I might do this next year if I think of it far enough in advance and I have the time. If you were to write down the name of every guy, like like take your top three, four, five experts. Let's say you go with like, you know, uh, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, Matt Miller, Bucky Brooks, um, you know, th- pick, pick your favorite uh, draft analyst name out of a hat. It seems that th- throughout the course of the process, you, you read about 100 names that could sneak into the first round. And, you know, 32, but 100 different guys could go in round one. It, it gets a little bit ridiculous. But uh, w- with that in mind, give me a couple names, uh, and then I'll throw a couple out there. Guys that are getting a little bit or maybe none. Uh, depending on on where you're reading, um, guys who aren't being projected as first rounders at all, or as often as you think, who you think might have the best shot to go in round one. Um, well, somebody that uh, I had mentioned earlier when we were uh, going back and forth with the emails, um, and he he may be my one of my favorite edge rushers in this class, and that's Chase Winovich from uh, Michigan. Um, and and I think the only reason why he may fall out of that first round is because he had a little bit of an ankle situation near the end of the year, but the guy is tough as nails and he avoided um, to have a procedure done to clean it up. And he went and played um, his season out. And then I believe just recently he also pushed back a thumb surgery so that he could uh, go to his pro day and he could perform at the uh, combine and, um, from what I remember hearing is that there was a lot of categories where he ended up in the top five um, athletically at the combine. And he's just somebody that, you know, when you want to talk about a player that has a motor and will not quit until the whistle is blown, that is Chase Winovich. And, you know, what he may lack in, you know, crazy physical characteristics compared to some of the other prospects that we're looking at, uh, he makes up with his hustle um, he brings a diverse style of pass rushing tools. You know, a lot of guys, you know, are big and powerful and strong, and, you know, mainly they will utilize a bull rush. Um, you won't really see a lot of bend or flexibility. He uses every tool that he has in his shed. And, you know, he will chop, swim. He will uh, dip and bend and d- use a speed rush, and then he'll switch it up and, you know, give you an inside spin move. And when he addresses the the pocket, the one thing that I really like about what he does when he baits a tackle that he's going on an outside rush and gets him to take a big step, and then he'll move and and execute an inside rush. He will open up his arms, widen his base, and go go hunting. He's looking for a ball carrier. He's looking for the quarterback. And he's very, very aware of what's going on around him. And even when he over-pursues it sometimes – you know, and he'll sniff out a screen, he'll get himself back into, you know, a position where he can try to make a play or, you know, force 
the carrier to go to where his other teammates are. So I think he's a really heads-up player. And, you know, if teams are a little worried because you don't want to end up taking a first-round draft pick and you don't see him the first year. A lot of teams get a little weary about that. But if he, if the doctors, you know, from what he said, he could be ready by OTAs. And, you know, we've all heard good things about the Jets training staff. So, you know, if it was one of those scenarios where we did end up moving back, um, you know, really late in the draft, I would be completely comfortable with going with a player like Winovich because he just has what it takes in my mind. Yeah, Winovich is definitely a guy, as you said, you mentioned uh, via email, and he was he was one of those guys that I kind of had in mind. And I, I've seen a few people mention him as, as sort of that under-the-radar, not so much under-the-radar, but a guy who probably should be getting more attention than he is as an edge rusher in this class and, and belongs a little bit higher in, in some of the rankings out there, and I would, I would agree wholeheartedly. Um, one guy, I, this is a player I would have gone with a few weeks ago. I want to mention only because, again, it depends on which mock you, you're looking at, but uh, a guy who has actually been getting some first-round talk recently is uh, safety Nasir Adderley. Um, and I know the Jets, obviously, the Jets, the last thing they need is another safety, especially, especially in round one or two. But uh, Adderley is a guy who does a lot of things really well. Physical guy, he can cover, he plays the slot, you know, quite well. But I'll, I'll, I'll just leave that, leave that there, uh, leave things there with Adderley and, and move away from that because again, he in the last few weeks, I've, I've been seeing him sneak to a few first rounds, uh, a few first round mocks. So that's not really going out on a limb at all. Uh, one guy who consistently, uh, and again, this is just in, in the mocks I've been looking at, uh, who seems to be a a, an early mid first rounder who I just, I really like. And, and again, probably not a spot the jets would attack um, because they have other needs in the early rounds, but uh, Dalton Reisner out of Kansas state, the offensive tackle, uh, the most recent mock I looked at had him going at the top of round two, a few picks in kind of 36, 37 range. So again, not a huge stretch, but uh, from, from what I've been seeing, he, he's kind of widely regarded as a second round guy. But when you look at the when you when you watch him on film, the guy is just he can be so dominating at the point of attack. Super physical guy. He's got good size. His his bench press at the combine was a, was a little bit surprising. I expected better. I think yeah he had a he had twenty three reps. I expected a little bit better than that for a guy his size who uh, who mauls the way he does in the run game. But I think Reisner is a guy who has been mentioned largely as a a second round pick who could sneak into round one. But uh, one guy that, that scares me a little, um, and actually I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this player because I've seen him mock to the Jets in one or two mock. I think NFL.com, um, and he's a guy who was regarded as a first-rounder and has been falling since then. Um, again, and this is all court of public opinion um, or, you know, the, you know, the analysts. I say that all the time. I try not to get too caught up. I I kind of laugh when people say this guy is climbing draft boards, that guy's climbing draft boards. I mean, uh, unless you see the actual draft boards, you know, what general manager is going to say, you know, wow, this guy Jermaine Pratt's a lot better than I thought he was. I should go tell Mel Kuyper so he can announce to the world that this guy is better than teams thought before. So I, I, I do kind of take it with a grain of salt. But one guy who we believe has been falling is uh, Ole Miss offensive tackle Greg Little. Um, Looks like he gets a little. There's been some talk about his work ethic. 
and and I've seen him projected as now a third, fourth rounder after initially being pegged to some teams in the first. Um, any thoughts on Greg Little? Yeah, you know, that is very interesting because I do remember seeing him talked about as, you know, uh, a top five, you know, top ten offensive lineman, and it just seems, I guess, as everyone's been going through their process, he just seems to keep sliding a little bit more and more and more. And I, I really can't tell you why that is um, because he checks a lot of boxes for me as far as, you know, size, physicality. Um, he may be a little bit stiff, um, and, you know, maybe that's where teams may be looking at him and say, I'm not sure if he, he would be good, you know, at the left, the blind side. Um, maybe he would have to go over more toward the right side. You know, maybe the teams see him as an interior guy and they don't want him to be exposed by premier pass rushers. So maybe he's better fit um, inside as a guard possibly. And you know how the narrative goes, you know, interior linemen are more second, third round picks. So you, you want your, you know, cornerstone um, left tackles and right tackles to come out of the first round. So, you know, that may possibly be uh, the situation with him. But, again, he's just one of those players that, you know, if you take a flyer in the, in the mid-round, second, third round, and, and you develop him, you coach him up, and he could end up just being a solid guy. Um, you know, we, we did well with a Brandon Shell. Um, and I'm sure, you know, if we ever were able to, you know, take a, a flyer on him, let's say with that, that first third-round pick at 68, I think that, Brandon Shell's days would be numbered, uh, you know, at that right tackle spot. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that's why I look at a guy like Reisner or the right tackle position as a whole. Brandon Shell has been a, a nice player, but I think I kind of I kind of class Brandon Shell and Brian Winters in, in the same in the same boat in that they're both good enough players, but they're far from being guys you can't upgrade from. You can't upgrade. And, you know, but both are good. They, they, neither of their positions are an immediate dire need. You know, center is a dire need. Edge rusher is a dire need. You could make the case, again, depending on how they internally view Tremaine Johnson and, and you know, the corners, corner could be a dire need. Um, I, I, think, I think that's, like I said earlier, that, that one, if the jury is out, we don't know how the team feels about that situation. But you know they can't feel happy about not having an edge guy, and they can't feel happy about Jonathan Harrison being, you know, the only guy at center. Um, so that's something that should be addressed. But in terms of right guard, right tackle, those are guys you can live with. Uh, same with Kelvin Beecham on the left side. To be honest, uh, as much as much heat as this offensive line took for being terrible, I kind of feel like there's a few guys on there that are just they're good players. They're not, they're not great. They can certainly be upgraded but none of them need to be upgraded tomorrow. Um, they might be on draft day, but to me, if you go with, with Beecham and Osmaley and, and Winters and Shell and add a center, I think you, your offensive line is much improved from last year. And then you, you know, then you, you move forward and, and don't count out Tom Compton to take Brian Winters job or so I, I think, I think Brian Winters, this is probably the hardest he's going to be pushed because of the fact that Adam Gase, if you look at his track record in Miami, uh, and this might be my favorite thing about Adam Gase, is he'll bench guys. Trade starters, he will bench starters. He will bench you mid-game. He will bench you, you know, he, you'll miss starts. And, and if you're not getting your act together, you'll be traded. Jay Ajayi was one of the best players on that 
Dolphins offense, and he traded him. Whereas with Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles was the complete opposite. Brian Winters had a torn abdominal muscle. Todd Bowles just kept starting him for 13 weeks before putting him on IR. You know, despite and listen, you know, Dakota Doja is hardly uh, Hall of Fame material, but but uh, you look at how bad Brian Winters was a couple years ago with his torn abdomen. It wasn't on him; that was on the coaching staff. Doja would have been a better option, but Todd Bowles just so often refused to bench his, his veterans. Um, that's not the case with Adam Gase. So I think that that that's going to make the the right side of the offensive line an interesting situation, especially right guard. But I don't know that that the Jets will will attack those positions positions early on. But uh, but some moves are going to be made on the O line, and I'm I know, you know me for one, uh, I'm excited about what what what's around the corner with the draft. We haven't uh, we haven't worked out a date yet, Alex. But you and I are going to come on the air. We'll each have our mock drafts. Mine will probably be mine. Honestly, mine will probably be published on Jet Nation the the day of the our next show our draft preview show, but, um, what, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go too much into, into what we'll, what we'll project because, uh, we'll, we'll let people find out when they tune in next week, but just, just off the top of your head, aside from the obvious, aside from, you know, center edge, what, what are the, what are the top positions you're going to be looking closest at when you're putting together a mock draft in terms of, you know, mimicking what, or what, what you hope the jets would kind of shoot for. Um, in this particular um, <clears throat> draft, you know, let's just say there are no trades involved. Uh, I think you go out and, and you target the best defensive player that you can get early on, uh, preferably a pass rusher, so that we can just nip that one, you know, get our guy that's going to complete our 3-4 our scheme and then, you know, continue to build offensively toward uh, Sam Darnold. Of course, I'd love to see – um, you know, one of the corners that we mentioned about earlier come in so that, you know, we could, uh, you know, form and, you know, uh, make an, another solid defensive back into uh, New Jack City, per se. And uh, after that, you know, I'm all about Sam. Uh, I want to see another partner tight end that's, you know, either better or similar to Chris Herndon. Uh, you know, there's so many different wide receivers coming out of this draft. And, you know, what are you really looking for? There's possession-style guys. There are speed guys that can take off the top of the field. There are uh, big-body, jumbo-style wide receivers that, you know, can win in the red zone and and, in certain short-yard scenarios. You know, you can just kind of put up a 50-50 ball and, you know, let them use their athleticism and and take it down. So I'd really like to see – um, you know, maybe a wide receiver or a possible uh, another pass-catching tight end to match up uh, for, you know, two tight end uh, packages. And, of course, uh, we need to address the center position and, and possibly a tackle position as well. But more importantly, if you can find, you know, maybe an Eric McCoy, Connor McGovern, or uh, Galliard out of Georgia, somebody of that nature, uh, somebody that Sam Darnold will be able to work with um, for the next four to five years and possibly throughout his career, um, similar to how Mangold had, you know, a nice 10 plus years with this team. I would love to have somebody that, you know, would solidify our line and, and keep our, our quarterback standing upright. 
Absolutely, Alex. I think that uh, the center position is is one where Jets fans we got we got spoiled for so many years with with Mangold and Mawai. And when you go back before that, when you look at guys like Sweeney and Joe Fields, and for whatever reason, if only the if only the NFL was a center driven league, the Jets would uh, the Jets may have had a dynasty on their hands because they had some great ones. But as we know, they've had the centers. They haven't had the quarterback until now, um, at least so we all believe. And we'll find out in time. But that's going to wrap things up for us tonight on Jet Nation Radio. I want to thank Alex for joining us, and and welcome in. And Alex, uh, go ahead and uh, go ahead and give out your Twitter handle uh, for those of you tuning in. Give Alex a follow. He's going to be uh, a fixture here, and uh, hopefully start writing for us again pretty soon. So keep an eye out for his stuff on JetNation.com. Absolutely, love love the opportunity to be back with uh, Jet Nation once again. And for uh, the fans out there that want to give me a follow on Twitter, you can catch me at NYJetsLife24. That's NYJetsLife24. Uh, all day Jets and lots of draft content, love conversation. So you guys know where to find me. All right. Thank you so much. That will wrap things up for us. And we will, uh, for those of you following us on Twitter, we will uh, shoot out some, I'll shoot out a message on when we will be doing our, our mock drafts. We might even do them. If we do them Tuesday, Alex, that gives us – that's about 48 hours before the draft. Now, we get the live listens, but we do have a lot of folks who download and listen a day or two after the show. So uh, just to give folks a little extra time, maybe we'll do like a Monday night or something along those lines. But we'll cover that. We'll tweet it out. You'll know when to tune in, and uh, and the episode will, will pop up in your iTunes or whatever when, uh, when we do the show. So thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we look forward to you joining us again next week. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Glenn on Twitter at AceFan23. And the show can be found at Jet Nation Radio. Until next time, go Jets!